says, get that India, big boy. Hello and welcome back to another Instant Reaction edition of the Tip Sheet. As always, I'm your host, John, also known as 4020 by League Circles. Joining me as a co-host, as a regular installment and an always welcome presence on the show, 60s. How you doing, mate? With the Eels, they, uh, they did it. It wasn't pretty, but they did it. Oh, mate, I thought we coasted it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. uh, in- Don't you... Don't you just love uh, an elimination finals oh, match? Just throws up the craziest things. Sitting, but two points for most of the last uh, twenty minutes of the game. Oh, and mate! I tell you what. Outside of Friday night, which was the game that everyone was tipping to be the close game coming into the Week One finals, uh, that was a blowout because Manly were exposed as potential pretenders. Every other game was just insane. Uh, the Roosters, yeah. Titans, Panthers, Rabbitohs, and then capping it all off, the, the Knights taking on the Eels at Brown Stadium or Brown Park at Rockhampton. And yeah, let's uh, dive into the result with the Parramatta Eels 28 prevailing over the Newcastle Knights in uh, what can only be described as a, a tense one, a nail-biter, a, a game that, yeah, whew, the Eels did not make it easy on themselves. But No, they certainly didn't, but we won the game. I think we were... I think it's fair to say that the match result was in our hands the entire game. And and by that, I mean, we were the team that was most dominant through the game. We allowed the Knights back into the game with some errors. So I think the entire game, it was, it was ours for the taking or ours for the losing. And uh, ultimately we got the call that we should have got at the end, which... Yeah, there's no controversy there confirmed. for me. The, I know that some people are going to put their hands up and say that should not have been a penalty try, but Will Penasini, was, there was no one in vicinity and he was going to pick up that ball for one metre forward and score. So we'll get to that in a second, yeah. though. So yeah, on, yeah. The, on the scorer sheet uh, for the Newcastle Knights, it was an Anari Tuala hat-trick uh, alongside Heimel Hunt scoring their four tries. Jake Clifford just two from four off the boot. Uh, a crucial difference between the two teams, actually. Mitch Moses, very good off the kicking tee today. On the other side, Wonga Blake started the scoring for the Eels. Mitchell Moses himself getting on the try scorers list with Blake Ferguson having a double and Will Penasini with that aforementioned penalty try in the 76 minute, capping off the scoring. Mitch, four from five off the kicking tee in very challenging conditions, actually. And the one he missed, he only uh, just didn't uh, compensate enough to the right. So, very good game for Mitchell Moses, not just from the kicking tee. That was a, a career day, probably in the finals as well. He was everywhere. In terms of the team stats, the Eels were ahead on possession, 55%. Newcastle's 45 time of possession, similarly favouring the blue and gold, 31 and a little bit minutes to Newcastle's 25 and a half. Both teams completed at highly uh, coveted rates, I suppose. 89% for Parramatta, 87% for Newcastle. So well done to both teams there. And that probably reflected the contest, which was uh, very good. Newcastle certainly turned up the play, regardless of you know the, the errors that Parramatta made one way or the other. But then... In terms of the attacking stats, Parramatta ahead in every key category except line breaks, which they split for a piece with Newcastle. Uh, but the Eels making 400 plus more meters, including 170 plus more post contact. Uh, average play of the ball speed was split down the middle, 3.25 for both teams. I wonder if that'll be adjusted as the uh, stats are reviewed. But the Eels offloading more as well. 
I'm, I'm waiting for you to get to the uh, someone, a certain someone's running meters, which jump right off the page. So yeah, keep going. Keep but yeah, going. we'll get to the individual stats shortly. Uh, both teams are relatively okay diffusing the ball, though there were some like, deliberate kicks that you know weren't there to be taken on the full. Uh, Eels defending at 89.9 effective tackle rate. Newcastle just a smidge lower, 0.2% of 89.7. So both teams near that 90% threshold, which is generally considered to be pretty solid. Uh, seven errors apiece. Uh, Eels conceded three penalties in Newcastle's two. Three uh, ruck infringements in Newcastle's five. And used all their interchanges. I note that Newcastle didn't use all their interchanges because they seemed... I, I don't, I don't want to accuse Newcastle of uh, manipulating the system, but there was a lot of uh, incidental head uh, assessments, it felt like, and stoppages of play in that game, which you can probably get a talk, uh, talk to because it felt like there was a little bit of gamesmanship going on at times there. But for the player stats, which we all love to see... And I just go through there. Uh, the entire back five, very productive today. Quentin Gufferson up near 200 metres, back to his best. Uh, there was talk about the bone bruise on the knee, which is what he was probably carrying for that downward slump uh, going back a few weeks now. But uh, Dunster and Panasini both getting 151 metres. Wonga Blake, 162. Very useful metres. Some good runs there. Fergo battling through to 149 metres. And then in the halves, Dylan Brown, 56 metres, which is a pretty you know solid effort for a running 5'8". Mitchell Moses, uh, outrunning a lot of plays on the field, 145 metres from 15 carries, um, en route to what I suspect will be a man-of-the-match performance in the uh, TCT 3-2-1, as well as all the other uh, less important man-of-the-match awards that go around. Reg was back with a very solid 107 metres in offence and some thunderous tackles. Uh, he really brought the boom in defence. And then you saw Junior get up near 150, Murata 135, and off the bench, Isaiah Papali'i in two uh, stints, 194 metres. So lots of production there across uh, you know, a lot of usual performers, plus some uh, interest added with the likes of Mitchell Moses and some of those outside backs really getting up and contributing. Uh, in terms of tackle breaks, Wanga Blake leading the way with five, sharing that with Mitchell Moses, actually. And then uh, the outside backs, the young ones, Hayes Dunster and Will Penasini having four apiece, Will Smith getting three. So lots of uh, broken tackles across the back line there. Yeah, 60s, some big numbers. Uh, we all- yeah, I, I wanted to – I was going to jump all over uh, the numbers for Isaiah Papali'i. That he's, he's topped the running metres with 194 running metres in 57 minutes. Yeah. That's just that's just unbelievable numbers for um, a forward off the bench to to be able to rack up. It's we, and of course the the other the other thing that jumps off the page is the running meters of of all of the backs. I mean outside of Dylan Brown who surprisingly wasn't uh, as big with his running meters, but everyone from Mitch Moses through to Clint Gutherson going past the 100 metres is just outstanding. And it, and it says to uh, – I think that had quite a bit to do as well with the number of missed tackles that the Newcastle Knights were credited with. So, uh, yeah, really pleasing from that aspect. Yeah, and we already spoke about on the preview podcast that Isaiah Papali'i coming off the bench allows him to sort of front load that effort into a smaller overall package. And that's what we certainly saw there. Uh, working tirelessly through the middle, um, really aimed up against that Newcastle pack who came to play. Uh, the the Knights equally very physical in this contest, and it was just that the Eels outlasted them. Now, uh, this game certainly did not get off under ideal circumstances. Quentin Gufferson misjudging uh, that 
I'll say breeze, but it was more uh, closer to a, a very strong wind at the start, and that saw the ball sail well out into touch, which allowed. Can the... I guess? Can I guess the word that came out of your mouth at that moment? Uh, it was a. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, but uh, yeah, it was yeah. uh, probably something a little bit saltier than that, something a little bit uh, less uh, repeatable on air, uh, something about a, a fire truck or something like that. And, yeah, the, the Newcastle Knights were quick to pounce. Kalen Ponga uh, scooting down that left edge and uh, identifying Wanga Blake, who made a very good tackle, actually, the play before, but identifying that he wasn't able to recover uh, his position defensively and attacking that left edge short side, um, putting a Tawala over for the first of three tries. Actually, Blake Ferguson, not Wonga Blake. Oh, sorry, Blake Ferguson. What am I saying? It was a barrier yeah. right edge. Yeah, uh, correct. And, yeah, the Eels on the back foot initially, and then they fought their way back into the game. Uh, the work for the Wonga Blake try was very nice. That was a very clean backline move. Um, good hands from Dylan Brown. Uh, fast and crisp there uh, before contact. And, yeah, uh, Parramatta did a lot of good things. Offensively, some of their stuff was... Uh, Incredible. The Will Penasini try set up for Blake Ferguson. Uh, that was sensational. Uh, he came flying downhill, and that was that was almost this, Quinton Gufferson doing the same as what Ponga did before, identifying that Bradman Best had made the tackle off that uh, half-line break and wasn't in position defensively, and going down that short side, giving the uh, cutout ball to Penasini, who got downhill, uh, had this lovely in and away, and then gets the Ponga and flicks it out to Ferguson. And that was just brilliant work from the young centre, who had a, a, a outside of... Uh, was it a one-on-one strip or a lost ball? Because the, the coverage was really ordinary on that at that moment. They were talking about something else, and the, the Knights had the ball. After Outside of that one moment, Penasini had a, an incredible game for a rookie, his first finals game. But yeah, Pen- yeah, and it, I think we've been looking for the Eels to go and sign a, a strike centre or or another strike outside back, and, I, and I'd still like to see that happen. But... Will Penasini's development is probably a lot more advanced than I thought it was going to be. I think it's more more than maybe the club thought it was going to be. And today, that sort of performance that he put on for a finals match against an opponent who's really highly rated. Well, rated and, as a state of origin prospect, Bradman Best. And, yeah, yeah. You know, it, it just speaks to, to Will's drive, I suppose. He's uh, just exceeded expectations at every, and we say exceed expectations. It's, it's not like he's exceeding long-term expectations. He was seen as an absolute blue chip prospect coming for our system. It's just that he has changed the time frame significantly, from being a you know twenty twenty two fringe starter. All of a sudden, he's a twenty twenty one you know cemented uh, first pick in the starting team. So he's done tremendously well, and that was reflected in his performance today. But yeah, this this was and, a th- uh, and I, look, I think it's also fair to say that he justified the media attention that was put on him today. There was both Sunday papers carried feature stories on Will Penasini and his I, I would uh, like to clarify. I would like to clarify one of the statements made in those papers. Uh, that was uh, in reference to when Will Penasini was chosen to open Bankwest Stadium as a 16-year-old. And uh, I think there was something along the lines of uh, uh, no Parramatta fan would have had an idea who Will Penasini was at 16 years old. Uh, obviously, everyone at the tip sheet and everyone at TCT and everyone that reads and listens to us would be very well attuned of who Will was back then as a star in the Harold Matthews. So the the papers yes, speaking yeah. for everyone there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think I think that's a, I think that's a very fair call too. Without without maybe we got we got to toot to your own horn every now and then. Yeah, yeah. Any anyone that follows the coverage that we have know that 
he's long been identified as a rising star coming through the Eels pathways. So um, it, it, that was, yeah, it, it, I'm glad you did pick up on that because I read that and I thought, well, okay, some some supporters maybe, but <laughs> I think a lot of supporters were um, becoming familiar oh, with and his I'd name. Like, I'd like to think that the Parramatta fan base is particularly more dialed in than most other fans of their respective clubs because of the strong connection that we have with our juniors. So, you know, very happy to see Will's journey being expedited because of his own efforts. So, tremendous reward for him and a fantastic individual game. But, yeah, this this game, Eels did a lot of good stuff. Mitchell Moses, incredible. And we'll talk about him at length because uh, for a long time he's been the subject of the flat track bully tag. And I think that he has really gone a long way towards dispelling uh, that label of his play in 2021. But the Eels, they... They had all the physical ascendancy. They had, you know, almost cowed the Knights in the submission on multiple occasions in this game. And this was a very willing Newcastle team, mind you, coming out to play physically. But then they just do something silly. Murata near Corey hits uh, Connor Watson late off the ball. Like, completely no need for it. A penalty and they go on a score. Will Smith, the Eels had, had swamped Newcastle defensively in the set in the second half and had them kicking from uh, 25, 30 metres off their line. It was a great effort play. He showed a lot of speed and hustle to get to, to Mitchell Pierce, but then he charges the ball down unnecessarily, giving the Knights six again, and they go on to score, I believe. Uh, just those those moments where Newcastle... I don't, it's not like Newcastle didn't execute once they got into the red zone, but I don't think they earned a single try in terms of the work to get to the red zone. We gifted them that, that territory every time, and that's just frustrating. Yeah, it, as I said, it was one of those games where we looked like <clears throat> Sorry, excuse me. We looked like we were well in control of our of how the match was panning out, and there was those huge shift in momentums. Some of them from our errors. Others, well, you know, I think the the least said from um, the bunker with a couple of calls, the better. Don't get me wrong. I'm very grateful. I'm very grateful that the correct call was made at the end, and. And also, to be fair, there was no other there was no other call that they could have made there. But um, yeah, there, let's, that, let's we talk do about want the to talk for about a that first that try of the Knights with the um, the obstruction on Dylan Brown. And again, I, I'm not going to say that there were Parramatta players shouldn't have been able to make the no, tackle. They, we we but we as soon as that. the obstruction, yeah. as soon as the thing is, as soon as an obstruction is made. And a player is able to take advantage of that obstruction, then it's a whole new ball game, and that's that's how the refs generally tend to call it in in live play. Oh, you took advantage of exactly. the obstruction. Exactly. So if if the if the player had have uh, uh, taken the taken the tackle, different matter. But because of um, well, I'll let you I'll let you. Um, describe it a little bit more because we spoke about it just before we came on to air. But in the logic that Grant Atkins displayed nationally live as he walked us through his decision process, it, it, it it's not verbatim, but if you want to sort of adjust it to what he actually said, he's like, uh, it is, you know, we're playing through here and uh, yes, the Newcastle player has run through and he has obstructed Dylan Brown uh, and we're going to play on uh, yeah, okay, so it is our opinion that the Newcastle Knights have uh, committed a, a professional foul or a penalty and have obstructed Dylan Brown, but we're going to play on because we feel that Hayes Dunster's defensive decision-making process uh, has uh, overruled the 
obstruction and we're going to play on and yeah, okay, it's a try. It's like, excuse me? Like, like you said, 60s, that, that defensive effort was not good enough for me. It was Hayes Dunster was sort of left grasping straws. Dill was then left isolated one-on-one coming across and uh, I think Wonga had overshot the mark while Sean Lane sort of just stood there um, doing nothing, which is a separate issue, which we can, um, uh, yeah, unfortunately that Laney has those defensive lapses in him. But yeah, like you said, the moment that Dylan is impeded and he is then stopped from making the attack or an attempt to tackle in the best possible position, which would have been aiding Hades Dunster in a two-on-one because he would have been there in time, that's a penalty. I don't understand how you can go on and rule that because of a decision that Hayes Dunster made once the obstruction was played, that the Knight should be in, entitled to play on. I just, I don't get it. Well, we've already seen this weekend that there was obstruction plays pulled up where no player was really interfered with, but simply the player had caught the ball on the wrong, on the, on the, um, the wrong shoulder. Yeah, the, titan, the, the Titans uh, uh, try taken away, right? David Fido. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it had it had no bearing on the defensive uh, play that was made. But then you saw that instance there where it was it was clear that he was knocked out of his original position in the defensive line. But you know what? Um, the next bloke's had a shot, and he's made a he's he's made a poor defensive read. So um, that negates the obstruction yeah, that was there. I mean, it's, it's, it's absurd in the extreme. It, it wasn't even, um, but it wasn't that, even like we've seen in the past where the, there was that brief period of time where the bunker was given more freedom to use subjective analysis or interpretation of a, of an obstruction play where they'd say, well, okay, this guy that was, you know, two back from the lead runner was obstructed, but it's, it's obvious that he's not going to be able to make an impact defensively and get to the ball on time. So we're going to rule play on Dylan was obstructed as a the secondary defender in that play, and was there, it just he was impeded from making a, an optimal tackle attempt, and he's like, no, yeah. no, we'll just play on. Yeah, and and of course we've had that situation where the commentators are discussing about it's a you know we don't mind this it's a common sense decision because Dylan Brown's had every opportunity now to make the tackle, and you're going, yeah, but hang on, um, common sense is is not part of the the way that they interpret this. If they interpreted it all with common sense, then the majority of the tries that they pull up for an obstruction would be a try because there isn't actually any interference on the defender. Uh, however, because it is a black and white rule that they are supposed to follow, it's, it's easy for them to call it. Now, all of a sudden, you've got a referee, as you said, who is saying, okay, now technically this is an obstruction and we recognise it's an obstruction, but we really think that was a very poor defensive read by the winger. So That's Brad um, Arthur's job. No, it's his, it's his job to chew up Hayes Dunster for making the incorrect defensive read if that happens. It's not your job. Your job's to officiate the rules. Call the penalty. Yeah, yeah. So, But I really do want to get off this right now because the point is that we've, we've won the match. Um, we know that we are going to get some awful calls with certain referees or certain um, people in the box. Um, I'm pleased. I, I, I am very, very pleased that they got it 100% correct on the penalty try. I was concerned. I really had concerns about which way that was going to go. 
it would have been one of the worst calls of all time if it hadn't been awarded a penalty try because I don't think you could have got anything more blatant yeah. than that. Yeah. So um, I agree. Yeah. anyway, let's let's now let's now focus on um, the positives from the Eels' perspective to come out of this. We you spoke earlier about Mitch Moses. Um, absolute standout performance and um, just the way that he decided to take on the line today. Yeah, that, that's was... what immediately jumps out, the intent from those first few possessions where he put the foot down and, and really tested Newcastle defensively with his speed and agility and they were found wanting. Yeah, yeah. And <clears throat> uh, and that's where uh, once he's made those sorts of decisions that that's the way that he's going to play, you know that he's going to be asking the sorts of um, – he's going to add confusion into the defensive line because he's because he's plays um, – well, he plays that sort of game probably far – not as much as he should, but in playing it as not as much as he should, then what he's actually doing is um, having having the opposition not looking for him to run. And when they're not looking for that run to happen, that's when he's at his best. So uh, I'd still like to see him run more often, but um, that's probably that's probably why a game like today he was so effective. <laughs> yeah, and he, he mixed up the run in the past spectacularly. A couple of really great finish oh, yeah. plays. Uh, carbon copy of that try that Ferguson scored against Melbourne Storm that was worked brilliantly down that right edge. Uh, had a number of nice uh, low kicks that either forced the line drop out, one of which he led the chase and made the tackle. Uh, in the second half there, uh, and also just some pretty tidy general kicking on the long-distance stuff. So Mitchell Moses, fantastic, and you could see that, you know, the passion, and, and he really stepped up there, which is fantastic. I thought Dylan played a really good complimentary role there, and one thing that's really, uh, I wouldn't say it's flown on, or flown on the radar because we have spoken about it, is that Dylan's getting into first receiver a lot more, playing that old sort of old-school connecting half-like role, and we, we saw that in a lot of Parramatta's best and most fluid backline moves against both Melbourne and now Newcastle, where Dylan is the first receiver or the, or the primary fulcrum, find, then finding Mitch as the sort of Luke Keery-esque wider half, which I think yep. is working really well because, and this goes back a long time, but we've spoken about the similarities between Luke and, and uh, Luke Keery and Mitch Moses with their excellent acceleration and great ball playing skills. You want them running a little bit wider and testing the edge defense because they can either find the winger or the centre, or, or the fullback, whichever is the correct option on the long ball, or they can just put the foot down and, and back themselves a score. Yeah, and I suppose that's the uh, alternative to the big, wide Reed Marnie pass, isn't it? That that linking to give Moses the a uh, little bit of extra space. Yep. Yeah, and th- it's nice to see the Eels adapt with, to life without Reed Marnie with those new-looking attacking structures, and when he comes back, it's you know food for thought about blending those two principles right and giving the opposition different looks with the the bullet pass wide you know in, in, instant wide play that Reed's so good at doing but also putting Dill in a little bit close to the ruck and using Mitch on the wider five eighth or old school five eighth sort of positioning so some good stuff there from Parramatta some great attacking principles and they've looked very good in possession uh, for a couple of weeks now even with the Reggies uh, running around against Penrith yesterday had a lot uh, last week sorry had a lot of control. But yeah, can, just, we, can, can we just can we just stay now? Seeing as though we've we've talked about the two halves, let's stay with the spine. Your thoughts on Ray Stone today? Well, I was going to give him a shout out because the, I I almost gave him a standing applause on that first stint, except for my dog was sleeping in my lap. He uh, 
no errant passes throughout the entire game, I believe. Service was quite good uh, from throughout his two lengthy stints. Uh, defense, though, my goodness. Uh, I know that Bernie threw a few names out there, but he might be um, ready to take the mantle off Trevor Gilmeister as the axe. He just cuts guys down. Oh, yeah. So I, yeah. To the point where I was watching on Fox, and I don't know who was what, what the commentary on Nine was saying, but uh, Brandy Alexander was, you know, gushing over his just defensive timing. He, he almost a prodigy, like in, in terms of his timing and and contact. It's just clean, and he just smashes guys. Yeah, it was. It added uh, a real extra dimension to the Eels' defence today. The work that he was doing and. Um, he really left some bruises on the Newcastle forwards in that opening stint. The other thing, too, is uh, you mentioned the the clean service that he was providing. This, oh, mate, I, I, I go back to when they were first looking at uh, converting Ray Stone into a dummy half, and I watched some of the work that they were doing at training in extras to build up his skill set. And I think he probably wouldn't mind me saying this. He had a lot of trouble passing on on one side of the field um, or one side of the ruck. And it was, uh, I'm, I'm not kidding, the, the ball on occasions would grubber out of the hands. It just wasn't <laughs> natural for him. So for him a- to put in performances like he is now from dummy half where he's able to, um, execute um, uh, almost as good as a regular starting dummy half. He's, he hasn't got as yet the nuanced play of of a, an experienced dummy half in terms of reading the play and being able to um, punish take the markers forward, and um, yeah. engage the markers. Um, yeah, just uh, and and really test out defence close to the line, maybe with a, a face ball. Um, the really flat ball that um, that where you've got a, a one of your big big boppers coming through uh, flat at the line and, and challenging the defence. So he's not going to put on a play like that as yet. But do you know what? He, he keeps developing like this, and he's probably getting to the point of of solving the second dummy half issue that the Eels might have going forward. Yeah, I mean, and we, we've lavished a lot of praise on Stoney in the last couple of weeks because it is so hard not to love the way he plays. And just you recounting that entire process, going back to when you saw him at, you know, between old sales yards and then Kellyville sort of practicing all that stuff, it's enough to make you sniffle and, and bring a tear to your eye and like, look how much my boy's grown. You know, he's, he's come such a long way. And, and to be thrust into such an important role, arguably – the or the second most important role in the team because it's the guy handling the ball the most, you know, distributing left and right and, and got, to, got to find your main playmakers and got to find the forwards with momentum. He did a phenomenal job. So uh, that is, you know, you can't really give enough praise to what Raystone did today. And not only that, to just set the tone defensively. The, the well, guy. Look, the thing that I want to point out to people is that it's – you don't want your dummy half picking the ball up, standing there, um, thinking about it, and then passing. So being able to snap the ball off the ground in a quick pass at, from dummy half is essential. And that is something that just doesn't come natural to players. You have a look at when you get someone who's not an experienced dummy half but an experienced 
NRL player who can who can pass in most circumstances, but when they're passing from dummy half, you see some of the most awful passes in that position when someone jumps in there that's not used to being there. Some of them can be quite critical, especially when you're talking about any of the back five that are jumping uh, into that position when after a kick. That's why you tend to see the halves race down there now to get to dummy half so that the the back five are doing the running and not the passing <laughs> yeah. off the ground. Um, but so the it, the work ethic that Stoney's had just keep work and work and work and on his game so that, as I said, I, I looked at his passing tonight really closely and I, and I just th- thought he looked like um, an experienced dummy half. Yeah, the... If you didn't know the narrative coming into this game about you know the Eels being down all their primary hookers, all their recognised dummy halves, and having to thrust Ray Stone back into a role that he he hadn't abandoned it, but he'd been playing as a more conventional back role in 2021 because the the team had recruited two dummy halves for reserve grade in Joey Lussick and Nathaniel Roach. Yeah, you'd think that he was a accomplished uh, backup or utility dummy half, and that's a, yep. a credit to the work that he obviously did this week to get himself back up to speed because that was fantastic. Now, uh, finally, for the spine, Clint Gutherson, how did you see his performance? Well, we spoke about it last week, uh, that the game against Melbourne, uh, in the review podcast, sorry, we spoke about it last week, that the game against Melbourne saw the the trending things, the things that you want to see going the right way, going upwards. Uh, he was you know, far more involved, was more physical in his kick returns, had uh, some great try savers, and I think he just built on that really nicely. Uh, testing conditions. He obviously had a uh, suboptimal start by kicking out in the full, but he didn't let that rattle him. Uh, he uh, After that, he cleaned up all the, the kicks at the back uh, brilliantly. Uh, had some nice touches chiming in from the back. Uh, that little bit of work to set up Will Penasini at the end was really nice. He played a heads up. And I know that the commentators were saying he could have passed the Penasini, but I think if he passed Penasini, Brabham Best probably cuts him down, or, or Tuala cuts him down, sorry. So I, I really like what he did uh, in general. And it's just, yeah, good to see Guffo back. And I know there was talk about bruising on the bone in his knees, what has been inhibiting him uh, in recent times. So he had a couple of moments there where he got up a bit ginger out of a, a carry as well. But he battled for it and put on a really strong captain's knock. Yeah, I'd have to agree with that. I I probably rated him about an 8 to an 8.5 out of 10. Yeah, and probably the only thing I could criticise is I thought he overplayed his hand on a couple of blindside plays he, inside it, the it, 20, it which must have been, it must have been really they, chewed up a tackle. They identified in the pregame that Newcastle were vulnerable there and you want to try and force the issue at times. But yes, Newcastle, in those uh, scenarios that presented themselves for Gufferson, uh, outside of the one that Will Penasini set up Blake Ferguson for, uh, they tended to scramble pretty well down those short sides. So... Yeah, like I said, overplayed his hand a couple of times on those short side uh, raids, but in general, it was nice to see him chiming in smoothly from the back again. Uh, you know, a lot of workload with the kick returns and and in testing conditions there. So, yeah, good to see Guffo getting back towards his best, and you know, it makes sense that the Eels are finishing off so nicely in the red zone now because between Mitch Moses firing and Guffo starting to ease back towards you know, his sort of premium form. It gives you options where you need them in the red zone. Yeah, and uh, I just now moving on to um, a couple of other standout players, our starting props, RCG and Junior. Yeah, well, uh, Reg, I'm actually shocked that he's only down for 100 
and seven meters on NRL.com because it feels like he made more, but I suppose they're all tough meters in those early exchanges. But his real impact was defensively. He was on a mission. Jeez, there was that sequence of three tackles on Newcastle's goal line in the first half where he just belted three different Newcastle players. And then in the second half, um, he he actually knocked Frizzell, who probably shouldn't have come back into the game, mind you. It felt like that was a, a dodgy HIA pass, but uh, he knocked Frizzell out of the game with a monster hit. So I, yeah. thought, I thought Reg, huge presence coming back into the game. Uh, Junior played great as well, except for the one, well, two things. One was the drop ball that was a quarter strip initially, which I don't think he was particularly guilty of doing anything silly. It was just those hands all over the ball, and he tried to re-grip or, or strengthen his grip, and the ball popped out, which you know we've seen that upheld as a penalty before, so it's a coin toss when it goes to the bunker. I'm not upset about that. Uh, but the only concern for Junior is that uh, shortly after that, there was a shoulder contact to the head where... He came through, and uh, I'm not sure if it was Sean Lane or Murata, one of the back rowers, uh, had sort of bumped the Newcastle play down a bit lower, and Junior made shoulder contact to the head. So I don't know if he's got a lot to worry about with the match review committee now. He did just cop a charge for something similar, which saw him miss the Penrith game. So that would be a concern if he's not able to play against the Penrith Panthers. Yeah, and um, Murata has maybe some uh, concerns as well with yeah, his late, late shot. late shot on Connor Watson. Yeah. So it wasn't it wasn't like high and it wasn't unnecessary. I mean, it was a strong hit, but it wasn't like a violent whiplash hit, which may be what saves him. But Murata has a lot of prize, so there's going to be carryover points and loading, which will be the concern there. And yeah, yeah. He, he, would be, uh, uh, he would be a big loss because Murata, you know, once again, one of the real physical enforcers on our team and a real dynamic presence down that right edge. Yeah, he's he's our player who sails very close to the wind in terms of that level of aggression that he plays with. And unfortunately, as you said, that leads to him having a fairly regular record with the judiciary. Maybe regular is a bit too strong a term, but he, he has... He has a little bit of form with the judiciary. He'd be up there. Victor Adley's got him beat, but I reckon he'd be up there for the most trips or the most reviewed, sorry, most trips, not as in like tripping someone, but most uh, trips to the judiciary or the most viewed incidents. Uh, he wouldn't be far behind Victor. There's a lot of them. Well, he'd certainly, he'd certainly be up there as far as Eels players are concerned. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, and I don't know. Like, I was I was disappointed in that. I just, it, it, it felt like, I mean, it did, it, it did uh, set the the uh, knights up for uh, one of their tries, didn't it? That um, getting downfield and getting repeat possession. So yeah, that that, that, um, is, that was the story of this game: is that Newcastle were gifted the territory in all of their tries, whether it was kicking out in the full or a silly penalty off the ball, or you know a turnover or a charge down that was you know ill advised. Uh, we had Newcastle pinned and dead to rights deep in their half in a lot of these cases. And then just those little lapses that you can't afford against the good teams, obviously. Well, the the, the really good teams like Penrith and, and Melbourne and now the Rabbitohs who have gone through to the preliminary final. So make a call, mate. Are we are we going to be without a player or two next week? Uh, the the MRC is a wild card at the best of times. In the finals, it goes even crazier. So I don't know. I I would not be shocked if we're missing maybe one player. I don't know which one they're going to they're going to sort of uh, load up the charge on, but I wouldn't be shocked if we were without one of them. And fortunately, we do have Ryan Madison and Oregon Kafusi in the wings to come in and reinforce the forward pack, but going up against the Panthers without either Murata or Junior would be a serious handicap. 
Yeah, yeah. So um, uh, apart from that, um, Will Smith pretty solid um, coming no more, off the bench. No more but, charge downs, damn it. But I, I, I've always I really liked what Will did. Brought some energy. The dummy half jumped out. Had a couple of nice carries. Then we broke the line once. Was only cut down desperately by his ankles. So yeah, Will did really good in that relief role, dummy half. Um, I did. We spoke about the back five already, but I do want to shout out Hayes Dunster, who did some really tough carries. And I think he's he's starting to play with a lot more physicality, and he's really. And it was obvious against Penrith, and I think that carried through today that his early ruck work, he's no longer getting pushed back or dominated, and he's really falling forwards, and that's making a huge difference to the start of our sets. Well, he had 46 post-contact metres, so I, I thought that was really uh, solid from, uh, from uh, as you said, a, a player who uh, might have in the past struggled to get on the front foot when he was meeting the defence, but now he's, he, he just has that, that power in the leg drive that carries him those extra metres, so... Uh, yeah, very, very solid from him. And, and look, I think you'd have to say that of of, of all of the backs. Uh, Will had his spectacular moment. Uh, Wonga Blake, that was... Uh, I was very pleased that he, he took on Ponga when he had when he was put in for that first yeah, try because yeah. you know that Caelan Ponga is simply going to look to take the pass, yep. knock the pass down or take an intercept. And that's exactly... He, he tried to... He probably went um, 30%... Onto um, onto Wonga and seventy percent looking for the knockdown of the pass, and Wonga's just gone. You know what? He goes for the intercept all the time. I'm just gonna. He's right on the line here. I'm gonna step him. And so Wong, Wonga's general uh, willingness to get go looking for involvement was very noticeable too, and that's very appreciated. Uh, you know, in these big games, these big finals games, you need everyone putting their hands up, and he's really leading the way. And that's been you know the last six weeks. He's really led the way for the Eels, you know, putting his hand up, making tough carries, making big carries, some explosive touches. And, yeah, just the quality of his play has been really good. And so well done to him for a strong uh, finals debut in 2021. A couple of tries from Fergo. Caught out a little bit a couple of times Yeah, well. that, that one was frustrating uh, because if you look at the tape, Will Penasini did a great job turning that edge into a man-to-man principle there. And Fergo, he, he had, you know, the intercept or the – chance to bundle to while on the touch and he sort of just got caught in no man's land so the i reckon he'll be pretty dirty to himself for that too so that'll they'll show up on the tape and they'll go over that but in general the right edges looked a lot better with will penasini and Murata on the inside shoring it up and yeah just fergo needs to make sure he doesn't you know get caught out in those little spots there because they can hurt you badly yeah and only we only had uh 14 minutes from makahesi makatoa tonight which was a lot less than what I expected. So, well, we, we, um, did, we did telegraph it when we talked about the team list in the preview that with Reg back and Junior sort of hitting his straps and you got Brown and, and Papa on the bench, that minutes in the middle are going to be at a premium. And that was part of the reason why someone like Oren Gafusi probably missed out on selection, uh, maybe lingering concussion issues aside, is that you know, there's only so many minutes you can have with all these big dogs uh, that need big minutes. And yeah, Macca was the unfortunate... Uh, odd man out this week although he did have a really nice carry at one point there that uh, took him for a good 15 meters so you know he's doing well that that accounts for the 30 run meters with 19 of them nine post contact yeah he, they, they took him a long time to drag him down that particular carry so you know and the thing with macker is that he he's shown that he can have a nice carry or two in short rolls or you can call upon him for longer minutes 
which is a nice little bit of flexibility to have, the fact that he can make a difference in a short stint. And that's what he did today. And, and in another game, maybe he'll be called on for greater responsibilities and we know that he can shoulder them. Yeah, and, and I thought, um, uh, again, very few minutes for Bryce Cartwright, only 18 minutes that he ended up with there. But in that short period of time, he he managed to, I think, look as if he was... Um, he was going to keep the ball alive in any of the instances. Yeah, he so, did, did a good job just uh, straightening up some of the attack and then was desperately unlucky not to score what would have been the match-sealing try prior to the uh, Will Penasini penalty try where uh, he took that deflected kick and high-pointed it and came down. And if it, I thought he was going to score for all money, but the Newcastle leg that got underneath him just managed to anchor the ball off the line just enough in time for support to get there and keep him wrapped up. But yeah, he, he found a way to impact the game in limited minutes. And I actually was surprised. I thought that he would have been thrown into the game a fair bit earlier because at times I thought that Sean Lane was, and this is more symptomatic of the torrid conditions because of the humidity, but I thought that Lane was getting a bit fatigued and I would have liked to have seen Bryce thrown in there just to keep that edge uh, fresh defensively, if anything, because we know that Bryce has been working hard on his defense. Yeah, and it was it was one of those games where uh, Sean Lane didn't have big running meters, um, so uh, and, and look for that matter, um, neither did Nathan Brown. And yet, I sort of looked at that game and I thought there were moments there where it seemed like typical Nathan Brown, yeah, uh, with the, with his carries, but just weren't as many carries as as uh, what I uh, what I must have had in my mind. So anyway, mate, let's go to the three two ones. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty clearly defined for my 3-2-1 this week and it's three players that we singled out for praise obviously I'm going to give the big points to Mitchell Moses who uh, like I said is going a long way towards banishing uh, the flat track bully tag that's been attached to him for so long I thought he was brilliant in all facets of the game some strong defense and brilliant offense and uh, very clutch goal kicking which was a, a big point of difference between the two teams yeah, I'm. I'm going to obviously agree with that. The three points there for Mitch Moses for all the reasons that you just pointed out there, and I think it's fair to say that having him rested for that week was the best thing that could have happened for him because he looked he looked like he was um, physically stronger today. Whereas prior to that, even when he had that uh, that good game against the Storm. He, there were he was missing tackles before that he didn't normally miss, and I think it came down to that physicality and just seeing him so willing to take on the defence and take the take the shots, and uh, worked quite effective defensively today as well. So, um, yeah, good move from BA in resting uh, Moses and and those other players, and I think Moses is he showed the benefit of that today. So your two points, mate. Two points. You don't see it all the time, but I'm going to the bench for the uh, the runners-up award for best on field, and I'm going to give it to Ice. Zai Papali'i led the uh, groundwork, the meterage, got through a ton of work, some good offloads as well, um, and, you know, just the guy continues to impress. Uh, by the season, bargain by the season, most improved player. There, there are a lot of gongs that Ice could take home this year, uh, not so much Dalian, but just, you know, general plaudits. And he continues to build on an incredible 2021 campaign. Yeah, I'm going to agree with you there as well. Um, I pointed it out right at the start of the podcast that his uh, run meters just leapt off the page for the uh, number of minutes that he played tonight. And 
it was just one of those games where he was relentless with his willingness to cart the ball up. So, uh, yeah, agree wholeheartedly there with the two points. And the one and point, the one point's competitive. There's a lot of worthy candidates here. Looking across that back line, we already praised Quentin Gufferson. Uh, Hayes Dunster did a lot of good stuff. Will Penasini was fantastic in his finals debut. I mean, you talk about that play he set up. The in and away for a bloke built like him, sensational footwork, great deftness, then the Kirk Gidley flick and the timing of it. And and this time we saw against Canberra, it didn't come off because Ferguson didn't really trust him to be in the right spot. This time Ferguson listened or, or trusted him and was there and was rewarded. That was incredible. I thought Wang a very good whole litany of forwards, but in a crunch game, sudden death football, do or die, you're down three of your core depth players in this position and you have to turn to a, a back row utility, a guy that hasn't played the role for 12 months and probably wanted to put it behind him and just focus him in a back rower. But Ray Stone, you know, come off the man, come off the hour, he stepped up and, and was a long his – his performance was a long, long way towards why Parramatta won today. So he gets your one? He'll go my one point, yeah. Okay. Well, I can't disagree with anything that you've said. But I'm gonna I'm gonna go with one point for Reg because I just thought that his defensive involvements were a real statement about the Eels' physicality in this game. So um, I agree with everything you said about all the players worthy of a mention. But I'm going to give my point to uh, Regan Campbell-Gillard. That's, that, that's completely fair. Like I said, that one point slot ultra competitive. A lot of Eels having strong games one way or the other. And yeah, that's that's why they ended up running out 28 to 20 winners. It wasn't pretty, and they certainly made it hard for themselves at times on the back of those errors or ill-advised decisions, The all the things that contributed to give Newcastle repeat possession and territory, allowing them to get into the red zone, because Newcastle really struggled for traction throughout long courses of that game, but it was just those errors that gave them a little looks in and made the game close. But thankfully, the Eels held their nerve, and, and that was one of the, the big points too, is that in that last period, up by two, they didn't panic. There wasn't any stupid football. Like they, there were some errors here and there, but it wasn't because they were, you know, forcing passes and and rushing kicks. I thought that the spine really slowed the tempo down to the right right pace. Not you know ultra slow, even though Newcastle certainly tried to take you know, long breaks here and there uh, and and recover themselves as much as they could. But they played to what the Knights gave them, and then at the end they iced it with that nice little short side play between Gufferson and Will Penasini. So. Yeah, they're obviously going to need to lift against Penrith next week, but we know that they can do that because they've pushed Penrith earlier this year post-Origin, and even the reserve grade team gave Penrith a great run for their money for the first 50 minutes of the game last week. So, yeah, really exciting game next week. Probably not the script that we all fought uh, looking at that game, uh, the Penrith Panthers versus the South Sydney Rabbitohs. Everyone sort of had Penrith easing past uh, South Sydney based on 2021 form where they'd thumped them a couple of times. But yeah, like, and that that just adds once again to the idea that the finals they throw up crazy results. I mean, the Gold Coast should have had the Roosters beaten if it wasn't for Patrick Herbert making an absolute meal of what would have been an iconic play for the franchise. That would have been an all-time moment for the Gold Coast Titans coming back a hundred meters in the last ninety seconds to score against the Sydney Roosters, and then he just he even had the go himself, had the turn to feeder inside, or just pass the unmarked Corey Thompson, and he did none of it. He got caught in yeah. twixt and between. Yeah, it's isn't it amazing that uh, all those moments in games, just moments where you can, uh, once it gets down to this time of the year, uh, and I mean, I, I wrote about it the other week with the storm, with all those 
all those moments that I highlighted, those those effort plays, especially in defence, that uh, were the difference between winning and losing. But once we're into this finals football, they just jump out at you right in your face, don't they? Those those times where uh, if only this had happened or if only that hadn't happened, it's um, and and we've certainly had that this weekend. Um, yeah, as you said, now this sets it up for um, some great viewing this week. We won't look into this Penrith game right now because we do have our preview podcast that we'll be doing through the week. And, and, um, and yes, we'll be bringing Bernie back for uh, Bernie Gerr back for a, a preview. Um, I want to give a, a shout out to um, Chris Warren. I was uh, invited again to be on his program as part of the match day preview today. So I really appreciate that from Chris Warren, and um, and I think we, uh, I, I think we'd really like to get Chris onto the uh, onto the podcast. Yeah, we might have to have the, the reverse happen, right? He's um, hosted you more than a few times now. Might have to have a, a chat with him about. Lord. And he's and he's he's quite open about. Um, he was an Eels junior. He's he, he might have played his NRL football for a different club, but he's an Eels man, um, you know, through and through. So. Um, yeah, we might uh, might have to extend that invitation to Chris to uh, join us for um, a podcast. And um, but yes, we'll have our podcast through the week with Bernie Gurr previewing the match and uh, really looking forward to it. And for those people who haven't had a look at our um, Parramatta story feature this week, we've got the uh, we've had the Borker Mills Brumbies that are part of that, and uh, they're our feature club this week. Great family club, great community club, and um, they'll be part of our podcast as well. The full chat um, with uh, their secretary. Uh, sorry, no, I did this, didn't I? <laughs> yeah, no, not the secretary, <laughs> the club president, uh, who, who, yeah, made a. They, the gaff was made in the actual recording, and it led to a rather funny moment and a, a fantastic moment too. Uh, as uh, the the praise and, and it was spread around for the people that do a lot of the great work at that club, but yeah, not not the not the secretary sixties. Uh, I, I tell you what, it was um, when you when you actually come to um, uh, and my, and our apologies. It was funny when we were we were talking to Daniel Essa um, about um, about the. The um, the great work of the club and um, and he did make a point a couple of times in giving praise to the the secretary um, of the club so Jenny Majoli so mm-hmm. um, she's um, yeah she did a, she does a great job at that club so please check out that feature story uh, you can visit the Cumberland Throw to be able to have a bit of a, a look at that and um, yeah uh, but we've got the uh, preview coming up this week we've got where we're in the finals into the second week of the finals and you know what every team is now playing sudden death football yep so um it's now any given game baby whatever happens happens and actually you bring up chris warren made me think tangentially about warren uh smith who was covering the game today who uh signed off or close to signed off on the game as paramount secured the result by uh, the Eels ending their finals drought, not winning since 2019. I was like, geez, Warren, if you describe not having a finals win since 2019, a relatively recent season, as a drought, what are you going to describe two-thirds of the competition as? Yeah. <laughs> tough, tough <laughs> markers there. But yes, the Eels do win and go through to a sudden death week two final against the Penrith Panthers, a massive derby game. And yeah, we've got a nervous weight on the uh, the fortunes of... Uh, Sorry, fortunes of uh, Junior Paul and Marada Nikori from the Match Review Committee and then the Judiciary if they have to go forwards of that. 
And I think Nathan Brown came out of his game a little bit dusty. I'm not sure what his status is. So just a little few bits and bobs to monitor heading into that preview podcast. But yeah, game on, baby. The Eels are alive. And yeah, and uh, let me let me um, just word that what you've just said another way. Penrith lose in the first week of the finals and now find themselves in a sudden death playoff against the informed Parramatta Eels. Yeah, yeah, that that that's the way the narrative can and should be spun. Really, the Eels are on the ascent. They're, they're surging regardless of a few errors today that made the game closer than it should have been. And they're, they're the team that's knocked over Melbourne twice. You know, relatively full strength Melbourne two times with the Eels facing significant handicaps in the second game. So Eels got a lot going for them here. They just stay focused. You know, you might get Joey Lussick back this week. You know, so reinforcements on the horizon. They've got everything. They're, they're, this is set up for them to win, not for them to enter in as, you know, the outsiders and doubting themselves. They've put themselves in a position now where they've, they're so far and beyond that slump that, you know, dogged them for a month. And they're climbing. They're, they're making a run at it. They're, you know, it, it's exciting. Yep. So uh, uh, I think that sounds like a good point to uh, wrap up the podcast, mate. It's, um, it, it's great to have the Eels winning in the first week of the finals. Sudden death footy for every team from now on, as we said. And we march onwards. Onwards and upwards, mate. Onwards and upwards. That's and uh, thanks for listening, everyone. And uh, we'll we'll bring you the preview podcast through the week. Yeah, as always, thanks for stopping by and having a listen. You can always give us a like and a subscription on SoundCloud or your podcast platform of choice. 60s already detailed the sort of wealth and bevy of content coming out in the coming days and week. So look forward to that. I've always joined the conversation on the Cumberland Throw. I know Mitchell have his grades up uh, rather jubilantly, I'd say, uh, with plenty of discussion to be had there. Stay safe, guys, and look forward to a huge, huge game against Penrith next week. Go, you mighty eels.